This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The following podcast contains explicit materials. It's Tuesday, April 3rd, 2018. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. And now that the madness of March is over, we bring you our traditional closing song. But this year, we ask that the moment shine so brightly that the glare overwhelms anything else to see. The coach is tipped or flat out bribed. The phone is tapped. It's the FBI. The backroom deals and agents fees. It's easy to forget all those guilty one shining moment's a basketball game. One shining moment erases the shame. All right. I've had a request that I move on from sports to news events. Caravan. 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 Oh, there's a caravan in Mexico. It was on Fox and Friends, so now you know. Nah, nah. Okay, I like Van Morrison too much to ruin him, but you understand where I'm going with this. On the show today, I spiel about David Shulkin, a man who was wronged. He used to be from the VA. He tried to praise his way out of it. It did not work. But first, friend of the show, Maria Konnikova, is coming by, possibly best friend of the show, just by tenure and uh, length of service. We're going to talk about parabens, which Nick Kristoff was a little freaked out about. Should he have been? Well, the name of the segment is Is That Bullshit? That's a nice framework to find out. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So as you know, in my life, what I like to do is uh, ingest information and assess said information for veracity and, uh, and, and persuasiveness. I turn to the pages of the New York Times, the op-ed pages, about information about all the horrors of the world and possibly international policies. Nick Kristoff is a very good columnist on these issues. But recently, he's been focusing his attention on other things, which is the suntan lotion he slathers on himself or the fast food he eats or the scotch-guarded, stain-resistant couch he sits on. Kristoff has gone possibly off the deep end, uh, getting his uh, urine tested 
to see how scented candles may be killing him. So in this ongoing series of our feature, Is That Bullshit? with Maria Konnikova, I've asked Maria to come on to check up on a couple of the chemicals that Nick Kristoff has been worried about. Hello, Maria. How are you? Doing well, Mike. How are you? I'm well. So we talked about receipts, which uh, contain a chemical, but we all understand receipts. And today, I think we want to talk about some deodorants, some soaps, some hair gels. What are the general categories for what's dangerous about hair gel other than, you know, it could give you a dangerous swoop in your hair? (laughs) Christoph very nicely provides this little chart for you about possible things you're exposed to and what you might be using that will expose you to that. And under this, he has parabens, which are actually a type of antimicrobial. Mm. So there are two categories here that are contained in things like cosmetics and your personal care products. And then you've got things like toothpaste, deodorant, soap. So things that you're theoretically using to kind of be clean, smell good, and be... <laughs> like not have your teeth fall out of exactly, your head. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So ah, the... so your teeth might stay in your head, but your body might be racked with hormones. So really yeah. we're talking about the category of antimicrobial. There is a subcategory, parabens. He makes them, he turns them into two different categories, but we're talking about antimicrobials. Antimicrobials, including parabens, because okay. there's been a lot of work on parabens because parabens are very frequently used. What is an antimicrobial? So an antimicrobial. Tell me it's against microbials. It's like it's against microbials. <laughs> That's exactly right. So there are microbials that are crawl microbes? around. <laughs> yes. So antimicrobials are antibacterial agents. Okay. Um, what, so. And what antimicrobials are in toothpaste? Things like parabens uh-huh. and things like triclosan sometimes. Triclosan. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes, it's fun to say. So it's just it's things that basically will prevent fungus or other things from growing on these products, give them more shelf life, and generally protect them against bad things happening. Okay, now I understand. I thought for a second maybe there was something in my toothpaste that wanted to kill microbes on my teeth, but that's not what it is. The microbe they're attacking is just a preservative for the yeah, product. Yeah, they're more, they're more preservatives. Okay. Although in some toothpastes, you do have you know things that do want to kill microbes on your teeth too, yeah. but but that's not what we're talking if about. If any of this is in Tom's domain, I'm going to be so upset. So just to, just to kind of back up a little, parabens have been in use in these types of products since the 1930s, roughly. So we've had almost 90 years yeah. of using these in our cosmetics. So when you do makeup in the morning, when you're putting sure. on your makeup. Yeah, my foundation, my your blush. Your foundation, your blush. I'm more an eyelid. autumn, you okay. know. Okay. Also, I have I, I like to address my T-zone. I have combination skin. So anyway, <laughs> but go ahead. I don't want to turn this into that. When I started looking into this, because I didn't really know anything about parabens, the first thing that I read said so they can be ingested, they can be inhaled, and they can be dermally, so through the skin. Yes. Absorbed. So these are kind of the main the main ways that you interact with these sorts of personal hygiene products. So it makes perfect sense. And so the first thing that I read that kind of reviewed the data from the 1930s called them among the safest and most tolerated preservatives. And yeah, so but the, I was a, you could probably also read a brochure saying asbestos, the substance of safety. It, yes, yeah. yes. So th- well, this one was from 2015, but okay. but yes. So I was a little bit, you know, curious. Why do people think that? 
practice is actually bad. With a lot of these toxic chemicals or potential toxins, people are worried a lot about, we've talked about endocrine disruption mm -hmm. and fertility. So there are problems, growing problems in fertility around the world, and people are worried that it's because of these kinds of chemicals in the environment that are disrupting our ability to procreate. And so it ends up that with parabens, this is one of the main fears. <laughs> and so one of the studies that I found that was done recently was actually done in a male fertility clinic. Are they called fertility or infertility clinics? It depends on their um, bent. Okay, so infertility clinic. Yeah, they're trying yes. to cure infertility. Okay, yes. So this was a, a male infertility clinic. And they basically measured their hormone levels of these things by urine samples, because by now we know that urine samples are kind of the way to do this. And blood samples. They're the gold standard. Yes, and blood samples. So, so we're going, we're going a step you above. My joke. I, I yeah, did, I did not one. miss your gold standard joke, Mike. I just decided to talk it's over like, it. They're the, they're the golden standard. Okay. Anyway. So, so they they took measurements at various points in time for people who were going to get their sperm tested at this infertility clinic, and they found no association between the levels of the hormone that they were actually able to detect and the quality of the semen. Okay. So, so there didn't seem to be any tie there, but they found that there could potentially be a tie, but they said be very cautious because very small sample, right. and it's very small, this link, to sperm DNA damage. However, we run into problems right away because, first of all, low sample size. Secondly, small association. Thirdly, with all of these toxic studies, it's really difficult to know exactly where the exposure is coming yeah. from, how long it lasts, yeah. any of it's these things. It's hard to do a control. Do one month with using your hair gel and one month with using Colgate Total Toothpaste and one month exactly. without. Yeah. Exactly. So I think the bottom line is that in 100% of the people they tested, there was some exposure. Mm -hmm. So there's not a single man in this infertility clinic who was not exposed to it mm -hmm. in some level. So even yeah, Tom's it's, of Maine users. Yeah, yeah, probably even Tom's of Maine users because who knows, maybe their shampoo is not quite Tom's of Maine. Oh, that would be weird though. It would be like a weird product mixing to go Tom's of Maine with your toothpaste and then just dippity-doo with maybe, your hair gel. Maybe, Yeah. Everyone is exposed. Yes. And there's really, there's been very little evidence. In fact, this particular... This particular paper said that we should have a, quote, considerable degrees of trepidation when we are talking about any sorts of conclusions yeah. that we take from this data. So it seems like there are two things to point out with this yes. study and maybe others like it. One, they found the presence of antimicrobials, but they couldn't find a correlation between no. that and at least infertility, right? right? Sperm and this, Yeah. And the second thing is they had a very hard time. So if everyone has these antimicrobials, it seems right. hard to trace it back to a specific product that this supposedly exactly gives right. us antimicrobials. Yes. And in the well, most- it wouldn't give us antimicrobials. It would give us elevated levels of parabens or right. something. But in the most recent review that I could find that looked at all of the studies they could find, it seems that the worst case daily exposure is less risky than naturally occurring endocrine active chemicals or EACs. So it ends up that there are lots of things like parabens and antimicrobials in our food naturally ah. and that they are actually giving us much higher exposure than any of these additives. So, for instance, soy, yeah. 
sunflowers, most legumes, tons of grains. Over 300 different foods have these sorts of things. So basically, that is health food. You just named like the three pillars of what health food is. Tofu is much worse for us than Colgate Total Toothpaste. Yes. Yes, that was the that Colgate was tofu uh, toothpaste would be the the real killer. Exactly. So that was in fact the conclusion of this massive review. Ugh. At the end of the day, you have to realize that there are potential toxins and endocrine disruptors and all the stuff in the environment already everywhere. Yeah. And a lot of it is naturally occurring. So natural doesn't mean good and chemical created by, you know, evil pharma doesn't mean bad. Yeah. Because there are things that are created by humans that are good and natural things that are quite toxic. Yeah. So that's number one. So we're just surrounded by this. And number two, when you study this stuff in rats and mice, et cetera, the levels needed to have any sorts of disruptive effects are so incredibly high that to mimic the same result in humans, we would need to be ingesting just massive amounts of this. And so it's not to say that you haven't had links to endocrine disruption, cancer, et cetera. But to say that in the amounts that we're exposed to on a daily basis, there's not enough evidence. It's really inconclusive. And the studies that we do have, the data just could be all over the place. But let's bottom line it here. If I had a peanut hair gel, should I be more worried about the peanut or the hair gel? The peanut. The peanut. All right. Blame the peanut. Blame the peanut. Okay. So let us construct our uh, patented question Worrying about the antimicrobial, including paraben content of products like hair gel, Colgate Total toothpaste, deodorants, uh, lotions. Is that bullshit to worry about them? Yeah, that's that's actually pretty much bullshit. And I would, for for one, much rather that you smell good and have good oral hygiene than avoid these products because you're too scared yeah. Of their antimicrobial potential disruptive properties. Yeah, there is a the, he's Nick Kristoff is not addressing this sufficiently. I agree with you that there is a societal good to smelling good that he's just totally glossing over in his feverish pursuit of the paraben among us. Yes, this is absolutely right. <laughs> Maria Konnikova is the author of the forthcoming The Biggest Bluff. It is a book about her time playing poker. And she stared us down across the table and got us to fold our use of hair gels. Although, actually, I doubled down on it. Thank you, Maria. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. And now the spiel. David Shilkin, out. Out at the VA. Dr. David Shilkin. He never gets called Dr. David Shilkin. Tom Price always got called Tom Price, didn't he? I guess when your name is Tom Price, you need to gussy it up. But when you're David Shilkin, maybe people assume you're a doctor. Anyway, the guy was bounced. And it seems like he might have been wronged. Among his misdeeds, he went to Wimbledon on a Saturday when he should have been attending a conference, even though he says the conference wasn't going on on a Saturday. He also failed to fully transform a gigantic bureaucracy with a massive caseload and limited resources. He did get high marks for most fair-minded government watchdogs for the progress he was making, but maybe that's the point. Government watchdogs watch government, and the forces who are replacing Shulkin at the VA want to, it is alleged, steer away from government and towards privatization. By the way, this is an aside, one of the Trump appointees with the knives out for Shulkin was Jacob Leinenkugel, 
If the name sounds familiar, no, it's not the super criminal from the 30th century who is vanquished if you trick him into saying his name backwards. That is Mr. Mixelplick, DC Comics borrowing heavily from Rumpelstiltskin, Jacob Leinenkugel. His name is on his family's eponymous beer. He's a Trump donor and a political appointee now working within the VA who is plotting for Shulkin's removal, according to the Washington Post, Politico, and other sources, possibly the beer advocate. Well, Line and Kugel got Shulkin's removal. And let me just say, he might be an excellent backroom dealer. Perhaps Line and Kugel's vision of the VA will come to fruition and veterans will one day be served, if not overserved. But this guy's beer stinks. That is not a metaphor. I do not like his beer. His summer shandy, summer shoddy. It's frothy. It's fruity. I'm not saying this merely as a matter of opinion. It is an abomination to all suds kind. Does it seem that I am overflowing with international bitter units? Fine. If Line and Kugel were the only beer around, I would drink Zinfandel, damn it. Line and Kugel, by the way, is a wholly owned subsidiary of Miller Coors. And the VA may soon be a wholly owned subsidiary of, well, I don't know. Maybe Betsy DeVos's brother. Maybe uh, Trump Care will become the first name in veterans' health. You can't spell Ivanka without the VA. Maybe Trump Family Therapy Centers will be the order of the day. We do know that Ronnie Jackson, Trump's doctor, Ronnie, there is a red flag, Trump's doctor has the job now. His qualifications are he's a veteran and he looks good in front of the cameras and he has yet to engender the lemony wrath of Leinenkugel. But if it's the case that Ronnie Jackson was hired because the president liked the cut of his jib, his affect, his commanding presence, then how did it work with Shulkin? How did he look on TV? I got to wondering, did Shulkin disappoint Trump in some way? Remember this famous comment Trump said of Shulkin and the phrase, actually he was gesturing towards this phrase, literally and figuratively. He was making your fired hand gesture over and over. And then he said this of Shulkin. Uh, we'll never have to use those words. We'll never have to use those words on our David. We will never use those words on you, that's for sure. And of course, by never, Trump meant definitely. Just like when he says everybody, he means nobody. And when he says nobody, he means everybody. Trump did fire Shulkin, but was it because Shulkin's praise wasn't full or even fulsome, as if Trump could tell the difference? So here's what I did. I went back to that June cabinet meeting when all the cabinet officers praised the big man. Here's what Shulkin said. Mr. President, thank you for your support and commitment to honoring our responsibility to, our, to America's veterans. I know that this is personally very important to you. Which isn't just a factual recitation of where the VA stands, but he didn't go fully, we're blessed by God to be in the same room as you. Now, at the time of this cabinet meeting, Chris Cizilla of CNN ranked every cabinet member by effusiveness. Chris Cizilla is a little like the nickelback of political reporters, meaning, yeah, he's a bit obvious and on the nose, but I think it has become more of a cliche to criticize Cizilla or Nickelback than any piece of content actually offered by Cizilla or Nickelback deserves. Anyway, Cizilla does encapsulate the conventional wisdom, and that, some version of that, is usually what he gets criticized for. But, you know, I could use some conventional wisdom over the question of how over-the-top the praise was. So Cizilla ranked Shulkin 10th, 10th most effusive, and Shulkin got axed. The least over-the-top in praise was Scott Pruitt, 
who gave an update on the G7 and didn't really praise Trump at all. Pruitt is said at this point to be embattled, but it was also reported today that Trump gave him a vote of confidence, which of course can mean anything. But Pruitt, the least unctuous, he's still there. In fact, of all the cabinet secretaries ranked as less sycophantic than Shulkin, only Rex Tillerson is gone. But of the nine ranked as more toadying, number two, Tom Price is gone, and number five, Jeff Sessions is constantly being belittled. Although he started off that way. Also, in the not a cabinet secretary, but important guy in the White House category, there was Reince Priebus saying, we thank you for the opportunity and the blessing that you've given us to serve your agenda and the American people. And Trump did have to use the words, you're fired on Reince. Seems that Trump likes praise, but he hates weakness. And if he sees you as weak, then praise is going to do you no good. So the lesson is, don't position yourself to appear weak to Donald Trump Because if you do, there is no amount of sucking up that can save you. Of course, if you took the job in the Trump cabinet in the first place, more than your job needs saving. And that's it for today's show. The gist was produced by Pierre Bienname, or as we call him, the smash mouth of producers. Just senior producer, Mary Wilson. Ah, senior producer. We're never going to have to say you're fired to Mary. Oh, Jesus. Steve Lichtai is executive producer of Slate Podcasts. He's like the radio head of executive producer of Slate Podcasts. The Gist, something of a Dexie's Midnight Runners of Afternoon Commentary Podcasts. Oompru Depru Dupru, and thanks for listening.